0: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. This morning,
1: be turning in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, that's where we were this morning. We 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 didn't get through, just in case you were wondering, we did not get through. Ephesians chapter 4, and... uh, we were talking about the unity of the Spirit. And no, no, notice what Paul wrote in the first six verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called, with all lowliness, with meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. This morning, we were talking about the unity of the Spirit, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we looked at seven ones in the temple of Christian unity, the one body, one spirit, and so forth. But tonight, we want to look at seven other pillars in the temple of unity as we look in verses 1 and 2. We'll look at it from a little different angle. God's always been concerned about unity of his people. And we pointed out some passages this morning from the Old Testament. Let me point out a couple from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no, no, no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, that was, was having some difficulties, some strife, some confusion, some conflict, He said, I'm beseeching you, through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority of Christ, that there should be absolutely no divisions among you. He said, but you ought to be perfectly joined together. You need to be together, not not divided, but be joined together in the same mind. You need to have the same thoughts about what it really means to be a Christian. Be thinking alike. Now, I realize that no two people have the same thoughts, but when it comes to being Christian, we need to have the same mind because we need to have, Philippians 2 5 says, have the mind of whom? Christ. We ought to have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, don't we have the same mind? We should have the same mind. And he said, and of the same judgment. I think that touches into the realm of expedience or, or things that are in the realm of maybe judgment or opinion. And even in the realm of things that are matters of judgment, there should be no divisions among you. I think it's best to have a bad history, don't you? I think it's best to use it too. I, I think we ought to trouble the waters more here. But, but somebody might say, well, I think it's best to go down to the beach and baptize in the ocean. You can do that. Or baptize in the creek. I've baptized people in ponds, old, muddy, nasty uh, ponds. that had to drive the cows out up, get in there to baptize. I've done that. That's why I think it's my opinion, my judgment, it's better to have a nice, warm baptistry. And, 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 but w- even if we have difference of opinion about it, we're not going to divide over something like that. When elders go into a meeting, there's always, it's almost inevitable sometimes that there are differences in their opinions about certain things we're discussing. But when they walk out that door, out of that meeting, they're to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. And when elders are united, churches are united. They are united. So then then look at Jesus' statement in John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone, but but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they also may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I, I in thee, that they may be one in us. Why, Jesus? That the world might believe that Thou hast sent me. Jesus prayed that His people be one, united, together. That's Jesus' prayer for us here at Somerdale, that we always be one, that we be united. And, and I am convinced and, and you don't have to agree with me. You, can, you have the right to be wrong and disagree with me. But I believe one of the biggest causes of infidelity in our world is all the different confusion out yonder in the religious world. Different t- thoughts, different beliefs, different names, different titles, and the like. I've had people to tell me, Brother Lambert, I don't know what to believe. There's so much confusion out there. Jesus said, I want my people to be one. Why, Jesus? That the world might believe that thou hast sent me. So we got a lot of reasons we need to be united. To save an unbelieving world. To save our children. We 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 should never have confusion in a church because that causes young people To be turned off and it causes them to become disillusioned with the body that ought to be a body of peace and love and unity. Well, how are we going to do that? Let's wreck seven more pillars tonight. What about that? Let's look at verse 1 and verse 2. Let's read it one more time. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Now let's stop right there. Beseech. You know, Paul could have said, since I'm an apostle, I'm going to command you to do this. He did over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, when he said, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. And so he could have said, I command you. But Paul didn't say that here. He said, I beseech you. He didn't put himself above them. He didn't even put himself on a par with them. It's almost like he put himself beneath them, down on his knees begging them. I beseech you. I beseech you. You know, when you have somebody that is drunk on power, like old Diotrephes in 3 John, verse 9 to 11, who loved to have the preeminence and be the top dog and the boss in the church, that person like that is going to disrupt the unity of the church. We need to have the attitude of Paul when Paul said, I beseech you, I beseech you. Then he said, I beseech you uh, that you walk worthy. Walk worthy. The word walk there suggests the way you live your life every day. We walk by faith. That's our conduct by faith. Uh, Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life, that is your conduct, your daily walk, be as it becomes the gospel. By by life ought to be lived in keeping with the high claims of the gospel of Christ. So let your walk worthy. You know, if... if, uh, if two people here tonight said we want to walk together, we're going to, we're going to meet one day this week and we want to take a walk together. You know, there's a question I, I would raise and it is a Bible question found in Amos the third chapter in verse three. Can two walk together except they be agreed? How about that now? Now, for two people to walk together, there are some things they have to agree on. They've got to agree the day they're going to walk. Suppose Brother Orlando and I said, you know, Orlando, let's you and I take a walk together this week. And he says, well, I can walk on Monday. I said, well, I'm going to do it on Tuesday. We're not going to walk together. We've got to agree on the day we're going to walk. We've got to agree on what time we're going to meet to walk. We've got to agree on where we're going to walk. We've got to agree on the direction we're going to walk. We said, I'm going to go south. I'm going to go north. We're not walking together. But not only that, we would have to agree on the speed we would walk. I have a long-legged friend I used to try to get out and run with. Well, I'm not as long-legged as he was. We would call ourselves running together, but we weren't running together. He'd outrun me all around the track. We were on a track at, at, up at uh, uh, Faulkner. It was called Faulkner State at the time, Coastal College. And he'd outrun me all the time. I wasn't running with him. I was running behind him. You see, if you're going to walk with somebody, there are certain things you've got to agree on. And you cannot walk together in the body of Christ unless we walk in agreement. Somebody says, do you think it's all right to be disagreeable? I think people can disagree But you do not have to be disagreeable. We've had a preacher's forum here since 1982. And most of the preachers know what I'm going to tell them. I hadn't said it in a long time, though, Nathan. I I think it's about time I did again. Uh, I I would tell them every time we'd get together, because we'd have different men speaking, you do not have to agree, with everything you hear here today but you do not have the right to be disagreeable and I told him one day I said if you want to be disagreeable I recommend you to leave right now go across the highway over here get in Mr. English I forget who owned that field over there then and and I said you can clear you off a piece of dirt over there and you can have a glorified fit but you're not going to have one here We might not agree with everything, and there have been times we've. Somebody bring up something, somebody say, You know, I just don't see it that way. Have you ever thought about this? You know, we ought to learn to walk together, and we've got to be together. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, then he says, Walk worthy of the vocation. This is pillar number three, I believe, if I'm counting correctly. Your vocation is what you do all the time. Your avocation is sort of a sideline job. Jerry was a cobbler. He built shoes for a living. And I've never had any made like that, where the man built my shoes. I, had a, I did go to a, a leather guy. He, he, was a, he had a, out here on the expressway, and I had something that was leather. I wanted a binder to go on a Bible. And I, I noticed he had a pair of, of uh, cowboy boots there in a, in a case. And I said, you, uh, did you make those? He, yes, sir. He said, I used to work for Lucchese. I used to make their shoes. And I said, well, I said, uh, if, I said, do you still make boots? Oh, yeah, I still make boots. I said, well, if I were to ask you to make me a pair of boots, where, where, where would you start out charging somebody for that? He said about $1,500. I didn't ask him any more questions. That's all the questions that I needed to ask him. Uh, yeah, Amen is right. Walk worthy of the vocation. J-j-j- this man had a vocation building boots. If I'd tried to do it, it would have been a sideline, let me tell you. Jerry the cobbler said, was asked, what do you do to make a living? He said, I serve God full time. I cobble shoes on the side. I believe that's the way we ought to be. Well, when I started that old Alabama Christian College up in Montgomery back in 1962, I was in bad need of a typewriter and I don't mean an electric one, I went downtown to a, a typewriter store right down on Dexter Avenue downtown, right down below the Capitol building, to a store called Phillips Typewriter Company. And I bought an old Underwood, and it had one of those long carriages on it. You could take a, a eight and a half by a 17 piece of paper and turn it sideways and put it in there and type on it. And I typed about three or 400,000 miles on that old typewriter. But when I walked up to the door of that typewriter company, and let me tell you what was on the door. This sign. This business owned and operated by Jesus Christ and John Phillips in that order. He sold typewriters as a sideline. He served Jesus as his vocation. An individual who makes Christianity a sideline is going to be a person that will not be very effective in promoting the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The reason, they won't be able to see clearly. They'll have dollar marks in their eyes. And a person with dollar marks in their eyes all the time can't see clearly to focus on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, uh, let's let's, uh, uh, walk worthy of your vocation. And then he says, with all lowliness, in some translation says humility, with all humility. That's what that means. We've got to be humble people if we're going to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that's not always easy because some people love to be, well, they think a little bit more highly of themselves than they ought to think. There's this young boy preacher who went off to preach his first sermon and he got home and his mother asked him, son, how did it go today? He said, mom said, it went great. They told me, They had never heard any sermon like that before in their life. He didn't understand what they were saying, Nathan. They probably never heard a sermon like that in their life. Because it probably wasn't all that good. But he said, you know, one man said that's the best sermon he ever heard. She said, after all, mother, there are not many great preachers in the church, you know. She said, son, there's one less than you think. You see, we've got to be humble." We've got to be lowly. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30 said that he was lowly, lowly. We need to be lowly. James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that, that, that he may exalt you in due time. The old maxim is true. The way up is which way? Down. The way up is down. Pride goes before destruction, Solomon said, and a, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. We need to be lowly people. Then he says meekness. We need to have, have a meek spirit. A lot of people think that that means that, that, that you're weak if you're meek. Opposite is true. Meekness is strength under control. Uh, Jesus was a meek and lowly in heart, he said. Moses is referred to as the meekest man of the earth in the Old Testament. And yet those men were not weak men. They were men of power and strength. But they had meekness. Uh, The word meek, as it is used in the Bible, is also used of the... The, the breaking of a horse to ride. Suppose uh, you were to decide, I want to buy a pony for my grandson or my granddaughter against the objections of their mother and daddy, uh, probably. But you want to get one. Well, you go out here and, and, and you, maybe you know somebody that raises animals, they raise horses, they raise ponies and the like. And they got one out there that's bucking and carrying on out there in the field. Is that the one you're going to look for? You say, What I would like for you to do, if you don't mind, sir, is you find me the, the most gentle animal you have out there. I want the gentlest animal you got. Because this is, I'm gonna put my five-year-old granddaughter on the back of this animal. I want him to be broken to ride. That animal's still powerful but that power has been channeled, and that power has been brought under control. And when we are meek, that means that our our energies and our uh, attitudes and the like have been brought under control and we might have the ability to, to do some damage to somebody, but we don't do it. Because that's not my. I'm, I'm going to live a life of what meekness, a meekness, and then he says, "Here's another pillar in this temple: forbearing, or rather, long suffering. Long suffering. I'm getting ahead of myself. Long suffering, or patience. I, I don't know about you tonight, but." I'm so glad God's long-suffering. You know, 1 Peter 3.20 said, When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. God was so long-suffering, it allowed Noah to go around preaching see if the people would get their lives right, but they didn't. And now 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, the, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. That is, patient toward us. I think God wasn't a long-suffering God, a patient God. He had destroyed this old world a long time ago. God's patient. And we need to be people that develop patience. Now, I'm preaching to, the, to myself right now, Okay? I go to a hospital to visit somebody, I mash that button on the elevator, and if it doesn't come open just immediately, Jeff, you know what I do? I hit it again. I walk around, turn around, it doesn't come up. I hit it again. We love things to happen how, how? Right now. We in America are not a very patient people, that is, as we ought to be. Do you remember when you, t- you turned your television on, and, and you had to wait until the tube warmed up? Do, do you remember that? Now the young people would just die laughing if they we told them you had to wait till the tubes warmed up in the old TV. See, I remember the radio before we ever had a television. You had to wait till the tubes warmed up in that thing. And and but now if we turn, you get that what do you call it that? You, you use it, don't you? He uses a remote control, and we hit the button, and what we, we expect it to do what? We want instant action, instant action. And if it doesn't happen, do you know who I call? Who do I call, Nathan? I call Nathan. Some something happens to it, I call Nathan. Now, I'm not trying to get you any business. Now, he charges a fee, let me tell you that, if you bring him over. So I'm not trying, I'm, uh, 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 we want it to happen right now. We eat instant grits, instant oatmeal. Some people, I am told, drink instant coffee to let my mama drink Sanka. That That's the nastiest stuff I ever put in my mouth, I'm going to be honest with you. But we're not patient. We need to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be quiet for a little while. Wouldn't it be a, I think it'd be a great thing. And, and no teenagers in here, are there? Any, any in here? I guess the closest to a teenager is Ken over here. And uh, that he's a teenager. At heart. Don't tell him I said this, Steve. I think the finest thing that could happen to America is all of a sudden, for one solid week, nobody could use a cell phone. They couldn't use a computer. You say, well, what in the world I do about my business? You're going to have to start using a piece of paper and a pencil. That's what you're going to have to start doing. Or go back to the old old register, you know, where you crank like this. We have gotten so busy so accustomed to everything happening just like this we need to be still for a while for goodness sakes be patient we need to be patient with ourselves when we get sick how how quick do we want to get well overnight yeah well are you still taking that medicine? No, I took the dose of it and it didn't make any difference so I quit taking it. We expected it to happen right now. We want everything to happen right now. We need to learn to be patient. Patient with our families. Patient with people that don't like us. We need to be patient. And I love Jesus. But Jesus was patient with people. Well, then he goes on. Here's the seventh pillar in this temple of unity. For bearing one another in love. There it is, people. That puts the icing on the cake. For bearing one another in love. That was this old man and woman who were well known in their community for fussing all the time. That wasn't anybody in the church. Don't don't, don't misunderstand me now. None of you now. None of you. But they were always arguing and they got their arguments got so loud that their neighbors could hear it. And they would say, you know, they're at it again. There they go. They're at it again. Well, some time went by and the neighbors noticed they weren't arguing anymore. So, so one of them got the, got the nerve to ask the old guy said, said you know, it's kind of known that you all had some you know, some, uh, some disagreements over here and said, we've noticed everything's kind of quiet over here. Well, what's going on over here said two bears said that there was two bears that reformed our life. They said two bears. He said yes. Bear one another's burdens and forbearing one another in love. I'd stop it, wouldn't it? If we'd start bearing each other's burdens and forbearing love, let me talk about forbearing in love. Lewis, you look like you might have been bullied at one time. I, I just can't I just, you know, all of us have been I've been bullied. you've been bullied yeah, all of, when we're in grade school, especially. Even my wife told me about a girl bullied her, and she told me how, what she did to her. She, 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 when she got her in the restroom at the school, she pushed her down in the floor and said she never bullied her again. And I said, well, I had a boy bully me, and I said I tried to get the teacher to do something about it, and she wouldn't do it. So when school was out, I did something about it. He never bullied me again. So we've all been Bullied. But there's always a school bully. Won't get out there. We call it, used to call it recess. I don't know why, what, what they call it anymore. We called it recess. And he'd get out there and he'd get a stick. And he'd draw a line down there in the dirt. And he'd stand over on this side of it. He said, I double dog dare you to step over that line. You step over that line, I'm going to lay you out. Well, there was a whole lot of forbearing going on. But it wasn't out of love, it out of fear. We're to forbear in love. When I think about somebody that was forbearing in love, I think of Joseph, the, the, the earthly father of our Lord. Before he and Mary came together in a physical relationship, he learned that she was with child, not knowing that she had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so, what Joseph was going to do was to get on Facebook and tell everybody on Facebook, It ain't mine. No. Or to get on the, on the telephone and, and send a text to all of his friends that you may have heard Mary's going to have a baby, but I want you to know it ain't mine. No, the Bible says he was minded. Put her away. What'd you say? Privately. He knew something about her that if he told it, it would hurt her. But he didn't do it. That's forbearing and love. And remember, Paul said, "Love suffers long, and is kind, vaunteth not itself, and not puffed up, etc., etc., etc." And the line finally, he said, "Down in verse eight, love never fails." Unless we've tried the way of love in dealing with difficult people in life, unless we've tried to be promoters of love and peace in the church, in the home, in the community, in the world, we've not done our best. Love. I believe every preacher ought to be a promoter of unity. I wish I could stand here and tell you that I think everyone is. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes they, they, they uh, think that they are God's gift to humanity. And uh, that older preachers ought to be put out to pasture somewhere. I, I can give you some quotes out of books if you want me to. And uh, where that's been said in so many words. That, that's, that's, that's productive of not unity, but division. Every preacher, young and old alike, ought to be a promoter of unity. Every elder ought to be a promoter of unity. Every deacon ought to promote unity. All of us should. To keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's God's desire. Well, now you've got 14 pillars. That ought to hold the building up all of these different pillars of unity and we need there's some I, we there we need to be united uh, present a united front to the world somerdale church i think we do but I, I i'm just saying it as though we don't we need to present a united front to this community to this county to this state and there is I don't have to tell you what you already know about what's going on in the world and it is deplorable it is deplorable and and it it makes us hang our heads in shame but folks we march to the tune of a different drummer Jesus Christ is our leader and we are following him And Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. He was a man of love, unity, promoted it. So, God help us all, all the time, to promote it. There are so many families that are in turmoil right now. And I'm not talking about families out in the world. I'm talking even within the church. Families that are in turmoil. There's no unity in those families. Husband doesn't know what the wife's doing. Wife doesn't know what the husband is doing. They don't know what the children are. They don't even know where their children are at night. There's something wrong with that picture. And we need to be together. We need to to, be united in every aspect of our lives. We ought to be together like God and Jesus are. Jesus said, as thou, Father, art in me, let them be one in us. In First John 5 and 7, the Bible says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. That's the Godhead, isn't it? And we're to be one like the Godhead. Can you imagine the God, God the Father teaching one thing, God, Christ the Son, on the other hand, on that same subject, teaches something just opposite of that. And the Holy Spirit comes along and teaches something different. They, they, they are one in their, in their message. They're even one in their nature. They're one in their purpose, in their mission. We need to be one. Just like God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit is one. All to be one like a husband and wife are one. There are no more two, but what are they now? When you get married, you're no longer two, but you're, what are you? One flesh. One flesh. Two hearts, but they beat as one. And you need to have the same goals the same purposes in life. the Mutual love for each other. You, you, you need to go to have the goal. What's the greatest goal that we ought to have in life? A husband and wife ought to have that we ought to have as Christians. What is our na- number one goal? To go to heaven. To go to heaven. If I had the young people in here, which I don't. Well, you're young. Young is, old and young are relative terms in my personal opinion. So, uh, we, we got just a few young people in here. Some in their 40s and 50s, you know, maybe. Uh, but, The day you stand before a preacher and say, I do, is the day that you probably determine your eternal destiny. Unless, well, you know, that is, if if you marry somebody that can't help you go to heaven, I don't think you're going to have a very good future. You can have a future, but it may not be the kind that you don't know, want and that you need to have. So I encourage young people to think seriously about the choices they make in life. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. Please do that. And may I urge you, please, to pick up the phone, call for the Bible course, or if you prefer, take it online. But whatever you do, let's get involved in studying more about the gospel. Please, let's do that. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. It's my prayer.
0: We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible@golftel.com, at or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.